All right. So the name of the podcast is Application to Admission. I want it to be HBC versus PWIs, but you know, you think that's a little bit too too aggressive. And I, you know, I don't want to be aggressive. I want to make sure that I I treat your your your, your brother, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. right. You know, I don't come off too too militant. Even though Martin was a real militant man, he has some he has some really positive stances on a lot of things that people you know, have diluted his message through this holiday and all that, but that's a whole nother uh, episode. Hey everyone, welcome to the back to the Application to Admission podcast. I am so honored today, as I kind of teased you guys a little while ago, to have our guest today. Again, I, I'm going to let Tim give you all the formal introduction stuff because again, th there's so much and you know me, I get very verbose. That's the word you use for me, Tim, verbose. That, that, that's what you call me? On, on a good day. On, on a, a good, good day. day. On so, a good day. So in order to there, be... There's a, there, there are some other adjectives I would describe you, but for sake of this conversation, verbose, yes. I will be succinct so that Tim can say his piece. But again, today is a special one, and we hope you enjoy. Uh, Sir Tim, go. So, uh, you know... It, 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 I find myself repeating myself. I say this is the biggest guest that we have had. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of excitement in bringing these guests. But I will say uh, that this one is somebody who we uh, admire. This is somebody who, um, you know, really has done a lot for our profession. And we are excited to have them. Dr. Angel Perez, who is the CEO of the National Association for College Admission Counseling. In his role, he represents 27,000 mission and counseling professionals worldwide committed to post-secondary access and success. His primary voice is the Association of Government Media Global Partners. He's recognized uh, throughout the nation. Um, in his work, he has partnered with the President of the United States, the Biden-Harris administration. He's represented the school boards. He's been featured on the New York Times, Washington Post, The Hill, NPR, Forbes, uh, PBS Hour, The Atlantic, and many more. Uh, formerly, his education is from Skidmore. He got a master's from Columbia, a PhD from the Claremont Graduate uh, University School. He uh, also has a teacher certification from Harvard University. The list can go on and on about the accolades, but most of all, he is a friend. He is a supporter. So now that I got that out the way, I need to you know tell this quick story, Shereem. You remember when we uh, finished the book, I did. And I, I, told, do. I, I do. I I told you. I said, "Hey, we're having a conference at you know Emory. I think Angel's going to be here." He says, "For real?" I said, "Yeah. You know, I might slide on the book." He said, "He says, what do you think he'll do with it?" I said, "I don't know." So I was out there with mixtape. Finished the meeting. He was walking across the quad. Walked up. I, I said, "Hey, hey Angel." You know, we got photocopies. It, was, it wasn't a bound version. This it was, was not. This was not. There's no cover. This is the the rough, rough, rough draft. Like you said, mixtape. Good call. Hey, 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 in the middle of the Emory's quad, you know, handing out mixtape, and uh, he was very gracious, and he took it. And, you know, I don't know if he read it on the plane, but uh, within a couple of days, he sent a very kind message. And ever since then, he has been a great supporter of us, uh, you know, from a personal level, but also a professional level, really making sure that NACAC and uh, everybody in it knows about it. So, Angel, thank you and welcome to the Application Admission Podcast. Thank you for 
inviting me. And gosh, I forgot about that moment. I actually may still have the physical copy um, that you gave me, but now I'm gonna call it the mixtape. I like that better. Yeah, I, that, that is a good one. Tim, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give you that. Uh, no, uh, Angel, the applause is loud over here. No, you, you know that we're, we're a fan. But again, I want to kind of give people just the, the bare roots first, because again, we have some really provocative and necessary current events questions to ask you. But very quickly, just give us a quick overview of your your educational experience, your professional ascent. Again, when I just hearing Tim kind of read your bio, I'm like, wow, like he's got, you know, he uh, started from the bottom. Now he's here. You know what I mean? He, 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 if we're going to talk mixtape, we're going to talk Drake. Uh, please, <laughs> please, please describe your educational professional ascent to the CEO of NACAT. Yeah, sure. I'll I'll keep it brief. Um, but what I think what I'd love the audience to know, because sometimes people hear people's titles and they think, wow, you know, they must have always, you know, had it easy. And the reality of the matter is that's not true. I grew up a very low income, first generation Latino kid who grew up in the projects of the South Bronx, originally from Puerto Rico and moved um, to New York City. And it really was the reason I do this work is because I had an opportunity. I was given a full scholarship. I was an HEOP, Higher Education Opportunity Program student in New York State and was admitted to Skidmore College. Um, and it fundamentally changed my life, right? When I grew up, um, there were no examples besides the Cosby show of kids of color who went to college. And I grew up in an entirely Black and Latino community. Um, so there weren't a lot of examples. So for me, the fact that that was so transformative, I wanted to stay in this work. I wanted to continue to do the work. So I went into admissions after um, I graduated from college at my alma mater and just began to um, do a lot of different kinds of work. I worked at a high school. I went and got a PhD because I thought maybe I could be a suffering academic at some point, um, but have really dedicated my entire career to helping students get into college, helping institutions of higher education thrive, um, and focusing on student success. So that is why I'm here. And now I'm at NACAC, which I never could have imagined, but loving it. Yeah, so for those who may be listening and are familiar with NACAC, who, you know, aren't, maybe not, maybe aren't in the uh, college admission profession. Could you tell us what NACAC is? And then after that, what exactly do you do at NACAC? Oh my goodness. We Is it like a three hour podcast? How, how much time do we have? I'll try to keep it brief. Um, so NACAC is a professional association. We are the world's largest professional association for college admission counseling professionals, and our mission is to empower college admission counseling professionals through education, advocacy, and community. And so we do a lot of advocacy. We're based in the Washington, D.C. region, so we do a lot of work with the Department of Education. Um, with the White House, really around any issue that is going to impact student access. Um, but also what we I call our organization the professional home of people who do this work, right? So admission officers, um, high school counselors, independent educational consultants, community-based organizations. Um, we provide education, training. We host a huge national conference every single year, which I know both of you come to every year. Um, so it's a really, really special organization because it not only gathers, empowers, and educates the people who are doing the work, but we're also doing a lot of advocacy on the ground with government, both at the federal level and at the state level. Um, the last thing I'll mention is that we also host um, lots of different college fairs around the country. So for anyone who's listening, who's a parent, uh, you can go to our website, nacacnet.org and take a look at the college fairs because it's a great place to start your college admission process. 
And, and, and that's a great thing, you know, that you said, you kept saying access and admissions and, you know, do, are the two the same, right? I, I think that access is oftentimes used as a buzzword to talk about people who were historically, uh, you know, denied <laughs> uh, access to higher education. I I think that the, the word has changed. And because you've been, you said it so many times and reiterated, I think that it, it, it it's such, a, it's an important word to discuss that it, access doesn't have a color or socioeconomic status. What does the word access mean to you as a, as it, you know, kind of is contrasted against admissions. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I'm not sure I ever really thought of it in that framework, but I, I would certainly put admission in a different category, right? Admissions is a process, um, a means to an end. I see access as the opening of doors, and I also see access as the providing of opportunity. And I don't see that necessarily beginning in the college admission process. I think about the kind of access we give to young people in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade to curriculum, right? I think about the kind of access that we give to young people to high school counselors. We're still in a country where the average high school student to high school counselor ratio is abysmal, right? If you look at the state of Arizona, there are 907 students to one high school counselor. That is not a recipe for access, right? And so, so I think about access in terms of the, the kinds of opportunities at, that we give to students all along the way, and admissions is one piece of the puzzle um, that gives them access to higher education. I like that. I, I like that. And thank you for, for giving us that overview, but also getting, you know, getting a little bit granular. You mentioned Arizona, and, and I think that's a great example. What are the biggest challenges you see in helping students and counselors and families as it pertains to accessing post-secondary education? Like, what what could we be doing as educators, but parents, kids, we we want to make this, we want to do better. What are some of the biggest challenges, but, you know, possible solutions that, you know, you've devised in your master plan to lead this organization? <laughs> um, I have no crystal ball, I promise you, but we certainly have um, no shortage of challenges. So maybe I'll name a few that are top of mind for me. Um, one big challenge that I think we have right now is this kind of anti-higher education rhetoric that is taking place in this country. Um, and I think that sometimes that trickles down to students and parents, um, and maybe they feel like, oh, college isn't necessarily worth it, or maybe the price isn't necessarily worth it, or maybe I don't need college um, in order to be successful. And we can debate all of those things together, but I think one of the things, and, and one of the things I'm most passionate about is making sure that I am using, you know, the... Um, the pulpit, if you will, of this organization to remind the American public and really the global public um, that higher education is a public good, that higher education is also an individual good, that students actually benefit tremendously. There's all the data that shows that if you go to college, you do much better financially throughout your lifetime. You have greater access to opportunity. Actually, all the data also shows you may be healthier. You are more civically engaged, so on and so forth. So I think one of the things we need to do better on is how do we help students students and families understand um, that despite some of the negativity you are hearing in the media about higher education, it is still really important um, and a really important road for you to take. Um, I think another piece that's really uh, challenging that we need to do better at is just 
this, the complexity of the admissions process and that it's still very mysterious. Thank goodness for your book uh, for demystifying um, some of some of this process. But I think that's an area where we can do better. And I know here at NACAC, we have been doing a lot of advocacy. Um, one of the early wins that we've had is, you know, the free application for federal student aid, even though the rollout has not been great, um, the application is shorter. And NACAC has been actually advocating for years, even before my arrival, for the simplification of the, of the application the free application for federal student aid. Um, but I think really trying to help institutions across the country think about what do we really need from students in order to make good decisions about whether or not they're college ready. Um, because all the data also shows that the more complicated your application is, the less probable it is for students to actually complete it, right? So I think we also are seeing some really exciting movements with direct admission programs or around the country. So I think there's a movement to be had there. And I think that's another area where we could do better. Um, and the other piece, and my guess is we'll talk a little bit more about the Supreme Court, but I'll, I'll tee it up by saying, you know, in June, there was a Supreme Court decision that took away admission officers' ability to use race in college admission. And one of the things I'm most concerned about is students or families interpreting that as colleges don't want me as a student of color anymore. Um, and I will tell you, you know, as loud as I can, that colleges and universities want you more than ever. I have yet to speak to a college president, a dean of admission, a trustee who has not said, we want diverse institutions. Um, and so one of the things I am worried about is the mixed messaging there and how that might interpret. So we're working a lot with our high school counselors to make sure that those messages are getting to our students. And we're also using our partnerships with the media to try to get that word out there. Yeah, a lot of great information there. I want I want to stay here for a second because I don't think there are many people in this country, and I'll, I'll say in this world, who have as good as a vantage point on kind of the college landscape as you do. And so, you know, just kind of thinking about the Supreme Court decision and not talking about that specifically, but can you just talk about kind of how many different colleges and universities are out there? There's this perception that, you know, college is hard to get in, that because of there's these admit rates are going uh, down and applications are going up, that there's no way that, you know, I'm going to get into college. So can you just kind of speak to the larger landscape and all the opportunities that students have, students and families have as pertains to accessing post-secondary education? I love that question. So thank you for asking it because that is another one of my concerns that people read the media um, and they might think, gosh, it's so difficult to get into college. There must, you know, it, it may be something that I may not be able to attain. The reality of the matter is the majority of institutions in the United States admit the majority of people that apply. And so if you aspire to college, and I really hope you do, um, there is an institution out there for you. I would actually say there are dozens of institutions out there for you. I think one of the great things about the United States of America is the diversity of our higher education system. We have community colleges, we have regional institutions, we have big public four-year universities, small liberal arts colleges, women's colleges, so on and so forth. I can name so many different sectors. So I personally think there has never been a more exciting time to apply to college um, because you have so many options. And I'll even add to that because yesterday I was meeting um, with one of my colleagues who works at the New Zealand embassy here in Washington, DC. 
there are more and more American students who are also choosing to start their college journey in a different country, right? You can go and study in New Zealand. You can go and study in the UK or Scotland or um, Australia. There are so many different places now. Um, and so the world is your oyster. And I would say, you know, to focus on, you know, what it is that you might be interested in studying, what are some of the things that you might be passionate about. Um, but diversity and choice is really one of the most beautiful things about our system. And, and one uh, sector of uh, that that, you know, are very important to us um, and, and the work we do and obviously highlight in our book is historically black colleges and universities. And can you talk about some of the initiatives that NACAC has to really shine a light on these great institutions? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And I read a lot about it in your book. Um, that's another, once again, it's amazing that in this country, we have historically black colleges and universities. We have Hispanic serving institutions. We have tribal colleges. And so there are also institutions with this deep, rich history connected to different cultures that I would highly encourage you to seek out. And one of the things, we've done a lot of different things by partnering with the HBCUs here um, at our institution, hosting, we have a, actually our first HBCU summit that we are gonna be hosting um, this year, but also really engaging the historically black colleges and universities to participate more, for example, in our college fairs so that we can get them out in front of students more. Um, and also just using them as advisors to us, right? How how do we make sure that we um, highlight the institutions? How do we make sure that we get the institutions in front of students more? And also, and, and this is an area I know that both of you are really passionate about, which is how do we dispel some of the myths around historically Black colleges and universities? And while I love, um, I'm going to put this out there, I do love Spelman and Morehouse, love them, have lots of colleagues there. How could you not? How could yes, you not? How could you not love them? <laughs> and at the same time, one of our goals here as NACAC is to spread the love a little bit, right? And let people know there are these amazing other historically black colleges and universities all across the nation. I think that that's really important. You said that, you know, we've gotten a little bit of heat, but again, more once people understand who we are and why we wrote the chapter, but you know, the, the chapter that we wrote in the book called the black Ivies, which feature Morehouse, Spelman and Howard, and people who are out there listening who want to fight me and say, well, it's Hampton and fam, you should be in there too in A&T. Tuskegee. Tuskegee, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Morgan, Delaware State. I was saying, Tim, that we okay. wrote it to be provocative so that people can be, ugh, disgusted and then read the chapter and know that we're talking about everybody. So, no, I, I think it's very, very important that we continue to emphasize, uh, encourage, explain, explore, whatever word we want to use, exposure, awareness. HBCUs have been the bedrock mm -hmm. of so many educational opportunities for so many Black Americans for generations. And again, as someone who did not go to an HBCU, I see the familial love and of course the educational advantages. And I do wish that once upon a time, I had been more aware. So um, I, I, I want to transition a little bit. Again, I want to be respectful of your time, but you know, you've had all these different experiences professionally to lead you to where you are now, and you're starting to see how Tim and I bounce off each other. He does the admissions questions, or that's his expertise. But I want to take it back to the application part. Um, what advice do you give families who are beginning this process? And when should the process begin? That's a big sweeping generalization, but I'm doing that very intentionally because we, Tim and I, believe that people are oftentimes late to the game. 
Mm-hmm. The more information you have now, the better informed decisions you make later. So again, without trying to hit the panic button and make people nervous and say you're late. No, we're not trying to raise or increase the anxiety around the process, but we do want to know when should families begin the process and what mm-hmm. should they be doing as, you know, as per your advice. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I I worry about giving an exact time when families should begin the process, because I do think it should be a personal decision. I do think junior year in high school is too late. Um, and, you know, you should probably, my guess is we agree on that. Um, you should, probably should be thinking about it earlier. And at the same time, and this is coming from a space where, you know, I, I worked for 22 plus years on college campuses with students and with high school students directly, that I also don't want families to start so early that they miss out on childhood. And I think that's what I worry about with the sort of craze that we have around college admissions that I don't want families in, for example, the fifth or sixth grade to start stressing students out about the only reason you are being educated is to go to college because the high school experience is a process of development in itself, right? And so we wanna make sure um, that we're respectful of that process. But I think there's no harm in like starting to get some of the information, you know, in junior high school and, you know, even just come to a college fair, see what it feels like, or go spend a day on a college campus. One, it's fun um, to be around students and to see what your future could look like, but that's when you start getting a sense of how you might feel and what kind of institution you might wanna be a part of. So I would say, you know, make sure that you start early enough also that, you can impact your high school curriculum. Um, And so one of the reasons I say it might be a little late in junior year is because you also wanna have control over the kind of courses and the kind of access you have to courses in your high school and that kind of decision-making. So I think starting early and having those conversations is, is really important. And I forgot what the other part of this question. <laughs> you did that, that was thorough <laughs> enough. That, that that was excellent response because it's led me because it's led me to this, which is you've mentioned college fairs a few times now. We know that as the spring, you know, uh, rapidly approaches. Let's let's go winter. Let's get out of here. Um, yeah. NACAC sponsors college fairs all over the country, and I've been to several. And world, of them. and world, come on, world? They, 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 world? They, they, they 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 get across the pond. Uh, we did. We, we just did an event in London recently. Wonderful. Yeah. So educators out there listening, you know, our CEO is saying junior year could be not the ideal time to start. So if we're saying bring, you know, freshmen and sophomores to college fair for the initial exposure, what should students do? What is the advantages of college fairs? How do you make the most of that opportunity um, during the college fair experience, whether it's a ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, what are they, what should they be doing? Yeah. I mean, I think a big part of it is, one ideal thing, there's a couple things. I think there should be a little pre-work that happens. And actually you can register for our college fair and you, as a student, you will be sent some things that you could do in advance just to sort of prepare. Um, but I would also say, let's let's say you're a sophomore um, in, in high school, potentially pairing up with someone who is a junior or a senior in your school and even just following them through a college fair and figuring out what are they doing? What are the kinds of questions that 
they are asking. Um, and also just visiting your college advising office at your high school. And I know they're, they're not probably going to be able to spend a ton of time with you because they are very busy with the juniors and the seniors. But at the same time, being able to soak in some of the information from the admission officers that are visiting. Um, and so I would say the more that you could just do a lot of research, just like I said that, you know, there, there isn't a better time in history in terms of how much choice we have. I also think there isn't a better time in history in terms of how much information we have, right? You can go, you know, I'll pick on Emory uh, just because, you know, Timothy is here, but you can go onto Emory's website and you could see so many things about them and you can almost feel like you're on the campus, the kind of information that you have access to. Um, but I would also say, you know, come onto our website. There's a lot of information there. One of the first things you'll see is, are you a professional in the field or are you a student or are you a parent and you can click on there and we help you begin that process. Um, so, you know, beginning with inquiry, I think is the best place to start. And you mentioned a lot in here, obviously we were going to talk a lot about parents and students, but a lot of the work uh, that, you know, we do in NACAC is peer-to-peer uh, -peer professionals. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you're seeing uh, from where you sit uh, that, you know, are the best ways to support professionals or maybe challenges in the profession that are currently going on that you all at NACAC are, uh, you know, trying to address? Oh, goodness. Again, something we, we could do a whole podcast about that. Um, <laughs> but I will say it, the answer to your question is evolving. I think there are so many challenges in our profession that I think it is really important that we say this word in my office all the time, that NACAC meets the moment. And I will say that while we certainly have a lot of things that we need to do, for example, around advocacy or making sure that we are advocating at the federal level, at the state level, I also think there's a lot of advocacy and support that we need to do for the individual. Right. Um, you both know that I've been pretty transparent about my own struggle at some point with burnout. Um, we did a member engagement survey and it stated that 38% of our members are struggling with burnout and anxiety, not the students, the advisors, the admission officers. And so that is information that we take and we begin to think about what is the kind of programming support speakers um, that we bring to conference. You know, last year's conference, we featured Jay Shetty, who has a number one health and wellness podcast in the world. And that was very intentional. It was very intentional because what we felt the profession needed at that moment is a way to work on their inner self, right? The way, a way to take care of themselves. One of the things I always like to say is, you know, the, the flight attendant always says, put your mask on first. Um, how do we teach an entire profession of people to do that when that's not what we do, right? We are in the helping profession. We are in it to like help others and we put ourselves last. Um, and so a big part of what we're doing on top of the kind of advocacy that we do, the education and training programs that we do, all, all of this programming is also thinking very strategically about how, how we now help our members navigate a space that is incredibly challenging. You know, I meet with a lot of deans of admission who all say the same thing to me. Joy is not the word I would use for this job right now. And I hear it from high school counselors as well. You know, being in a high school building right now is also not necessarily joyful. It's incredibly stressful. And there's a lot of headwinds from the outside um, that are making our jobs much more difficult. So a big part of what's on my mind is how I support professionals 
because I want to make sure that good people like you stay in this field, grow in the field, but also don't do it and do it in a way where they're sacrificing themselves. I think that's really critical. Again, I thank you for saying all that you just did. You know, people don't know this, but when we first got on to kind of prep for this today, the first thing you asked us is how we're, how are we doing? Yes. I mean, Angel, you, you, you've been a huge supporter of our book and, you know, we're out on the road heavy now, right? This is the first quarter of 2024. We're really excited about our second edition, but it, it there's work, you know, it looks real sexy. Ha ha, Shereem and Tim are out Social there. Social media looks Social nice. Social media, right? Social media looks <laughs> nice, but not, not too many people are jumping on planes at 5 a.m. Not too many people right. are sharing hotel rooms and catching That's Ubers. Right. And again, we love what we do. Tim and I have reinvigorated ourselves professionally, to be quite honest with you. You know, mm -hmm. here I am running an independent consulting company. He's working at Emory. And again, we're good at what we do, but coming together to share an energy, to do what we're doing in terms of the book, it's it's not easy. So thank you for, for asking us about our health and wellness. And as we're on the road, we're going to uh, eat right. <laughs> we're going to exercise. We're going uh, uh, to drink water, drink water, drink water, water. Try, <laughs> try to get some sleep. You know, Tim, Tim, Tim's already dealing with the fact that when we share rooms, which is occasionally I snore. So I'm trying to, <laughs> to try to help him get some sleep. So that, thank you for saying that. Um, I want to mention something just because I think it's important that we say this. Um, you've been in this profession for a long time. You've worked at several different institutions. You and I first met in 2000 when I was a young school counselor and you were uh, at Pitzer and I came out to December Fest. I mean, I don't even know if you knew this at the time, but Tira Briggs, who uh -huh. um, is at Harvey Mudd now. One of my uh, good friends. Yes. Tira, Tira was my high school, my, excuse me, my summer camp counselor. No way. Summer camp, 12 years old. Tira still sees uh -huh. me to this day and says, Shereen, we were in this amazing advanced, you know, junior lifeguarding class and you refused to get in the water as good as you were because it was cold. I was like, yes, it was cold and I was way, 12. Note to all of our listeners from camp counselor to yes. vice president of a college. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Know? So so that, that, that's a summer job. Friends. That should be your summer activity. I tell family all the time, don't skip out on that summer camp counselor experience. Um, it's very important from our relationship, but also, again, right. watching her ascend has been great. And it helped me deal with kids. All that said, um, I want I want to ask you something that's, it's you know, we go back 20 years. We, we think about all the different iterations of the profession that we've seen. As the spring quickly approaches, what are you expecting? You know, again, you don't have a crystal ball. But what are you expecting the impact of the year one of the Supreme Court decision? Well, what do you think the rollout's going to be statistically, anecdotally? You know, please share. I want to answer your question by starting by saying I, I am an optimist. I am a trained optimist. I've trained myself to be very optimistic in my adulthood. Um, and at the same time, I see a lot of challenges in the year ahead. And, and a big part of it is, we just had a new FAFSA, which the rollout has not been wonderful. Um, and we have done some advocacy there with the Department of Education. And that has implications for students, but also for institutions that are trying to process financial aid applications, um, you know, as Timothy probably knows very well. Um, that, that could have um, a kind of impact on the number of students that remain in the process. The other piece is, you know, if we take a look at what happened in the state of California and in the state of Michigan when they removed 
um, the ability for admission officers to use race in admission, we saw a pretty steep drop in students of color who enrolled in institutions. Now, organizations like mine and many others here in DC and across the country are working really hard to make sure that doesn't happen and supporting our members, whether they're on high school side or on the college side, um, to shepherd students through the process. Um, but we may see that we see fewer students of color um, who are enrolling next year. Um, and so that's one of the things that I think we are, we're challenged with. And I think the other thing, and it's top of mind for me, you know, we started this year, um, for those of us who pay very close attention to higher education with the news of the, the UPenn president stepping down, the Harvard president stepping down, and I won't get into politics, but it's a really, really sad moment for higher education. And, and I think we have a lot of challenges ahead, yet the work of American higher education is more important than ever, right? And that lands at the doorsteps of the deans of admission who are doing this work, that, dance, that lands at the doorsteps of all the admission officers and also the high school counselors who are doing the work. So a big part of the challenge that I also see is keeping people focused um, not feeling defeated, right? That sure, it's going to be a tough year, but this is why we are here, right? If I can quote the Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, who was also a speaker at our conference last year, you guys were probably in the audience. He was amazing. And you know, he is someone, I mean, if anybody has a stressful job, it's, it's Miguel, right? He's got a really stressful job, but he reiterated what an honor it was to do this work at this moment. And one of my favorite things that he said is, every generation has a responsibility to renew the promise of America, right? And so our work is really hard right now because there are a lot of headwinds coming our way, but those of us on the screen and those of us who are leaders in the profession, um, we have a responsibility to renew the promise of America. So I am optimistic that we will do that, but I'm also realistic that we have a very challenging year ahead. And I haven't even talked about the fact that we're going into an election year. So I'll <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm gonna let Tim. I'm gonna let Tim pepper you with uh, one more question because I know that you are on the go and you're right. The election year thing will take us down a rabbit hole. Um, I'm calling it. And Miguel, you're absolutely right. He he was a powerful speaker, but I'm calling it a exhausting blessings. You know, mm -hmm. when, when when Tim and I are out there on the streets, uh, we 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 know we're making an impact. We want to make an impact. We care. We're serving. We're sharing. But it's exhausting. It is, and, and, and but it's a blessing because, like you said, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We have responsibility. So thank you for reiterating that because it's important that all educators know that, and all parents and students know that we do this from the heart, um, first and foremost. Yeah, just a quick question. You mentioned a conference a couple of times. Do you want to have any breaking news about the NACAC conference in Los Angeles? Speakers, anybody? You want to break it on our podcast oh, right now? Oh, we keep it, we keep it tight. This club Shay Shay. This club Shay Shay. Cat. Cat. This club Shay Shay. Hey, nobody's listening. You can go ahead. <laughs> but what I will say for those of you that don't know, we will be in Los Angeles, which I'm excited about. I'm returning back to LA after living there for 11 years. Um, but our, I'm excited about our theme, which hopefully will be announced soon, um, which I think will resonate deeply uh, with the profession at this moment. Um, and what I will be honest in saying is that we have reached out to some speakers who I think you will all be very excited about. I just hope they say yes. Thank you. Thank you. So, so, so one last question. So usually we ask people 
to uh, talk about some colleges that are overlooked. Um, given your profession, we are not going to put you in that position. Hey, that's, um, a, but, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, I would I would ask as we uh, you know um, wrap wrap this up, and we really want to share how we appreciate over your time. What advice would you give your seventeen year old self? Mm, I love that. Um, I think probably two things. One is breathe because it's going to be okay. Um, probably doesn't surprise you that I was an overachieving, high-strung 17-year-old um, who was stressed about the college admissions process. And now, given everything I know and given the fact that there are so many amazing institutions, I would say breathe, it's going to be okay. Um, and I'll say this with the caveat that I loved where I went to college. I love Skidmore and, and give a lot of my time and service to Skidmore. But now that I know what I know, I also wish that I had opened the door to many other possibilities. I could have gone to a Hispanic serving institution. I could have gone to an HBCU. I could have gone to a big public you know, flagship um, and had probably an amazing experience too. So I think I would say I, I wish I had been more open-minded as I began the process. Um, and maybe I would have landed in the same place because it was meant to be. Um, but I do know now, and given all the work that I do and all the, the hundreds of college campuses that I've been on around the world, that I could have been happy at a lot of different places. That, that's important that you said that. We appreciate that because likewise, I look back at my 17-year-old self and I was so narrowly focused on Wesleyan University, applied early decision, got in. Two of my best friends were already there. It was reputable amongst independent schools in Metro New York and in my boarding school world. So I was glad that I went, but by learning about so many other schools over the course of the my career, um, I, I, I won't say I wish I would have gone to other places, but I wish I would have been more open. And Emory- practically yeah. too. I mean, given yeah. that I- I remember when I used to, when I was in California, recruiting for a school in California, I would travel to New York, for example, and just say to students, like, particularly, I feel like New Yorkers and Californians in many ways, like, it's hard to get them out of there because yeah, know, yeah. living is good. Um, but at the same time, I would say, like, you can always come back to New York, open your mind geographically and go have a different experience, because that's another great thing. Go to a part of the country you've never been to and just have that kind of openness and experience, or even better yet, take a year and go somewhere abroad, right, and, and see how other systems of higher education work. So it's exciting. It's exciting to be a 17, 18 year old right now on that journey. I understand it's stressful, um, but I would I would still share that advice with myself and with others who are listening. Great, thank you so much, Angel. Again, generosity should be your middle name. Um, uh, as we kind of wrap this up, you know, I'll give Tim the, the last kind of uh, opportunity to, to sing your praises. Not only do I want to say thank you, but I think the what we appreciate about your leadership in NACAC, and I've spoken to other people about this, is the transparency, the vulnerability, uh, but also, again, you're, you're not cut from the same traditional cloth as a lot of CEOs, whether it be in higher education or major corporations, come from. So for sharing your experiences professionally, um, it, it means a lot. And I know there's someone out there who's listening to this, who's going to benefit from it. We hope that that happens. And uh, your ability to reiterate, college is a necessary thing for most, for many, um, but it doesn't matter where you go. It's how you take advantage of the experience. Is that? Can you co-sign on that statement? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Good. Well, we definitely want to thank you. And we would be remiss. We would be out of order if we did not also praise you for your staff that you had there at NACAC. You know, our experience in working with all the great people in, you know, governmental affairs and, and, and uh, Chantel and just all the wonderful people you have working with you there. Just shout out to the, all, all of them and the great work you all do. Um, so definitely please uh, pass that along uh, as you walk the halls, um, you know, today. Uh, but Shereen, yes, we sir. did one more. Uh, this was a good one. This yes, was a I good told one. you, you promised it. This is what you said it would be. So <laughs> thank you, sir. And Angel, thank you. But no, we're, we're, we're still on the road, Tim. So I'm going to see you tomorrow. So yeah, uh, yeah, hey, 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 there's a book. What's the name of the book, Shereen? Yes, yes. That thing that the, we spent the, a lot the of second time. The second edition. I'm sorry. Why don't you, why don't you just say it? Since you were telling me to talk. No, no, about no, it. no. Because you're verbose. You're more verbose than me. Oh, here we go again. The Black Family's Guide to College Admission, A Conversation About Education, Parenting, and Race, the second edition. It is out. It's as a blue cover. Akil Bello, the great educational policy advocate, testing expert, wrote the foreword. We thank him. Um, we are so glad that it's been well received, that people are buying it in bulk, hint, hint for their school, for their parents, for their students. We wrote it for the people, and uh, we're glad that the people have been receptive to it. If you don't got it, get it, and then write a review on Amazon. Is that, is that Did I say it right, Tim? You you did, you did. I just want you to highlight some of the new chapters we have. Uh, Again, so, so, you're, so you're telling me what to say versus you just saying it. Absolutely, we're complimenting one another. We're complimenting gotcha. one thank another. Thank you, sir, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talking about the Supreme Court decision, providing some historical context and, and what, what it's gonna mean next. We're talking about AI essays and how you know that has you know entered into this equation. Essays have always been a critical component, but with the Supreme Court decision, they're going to be more important uh, than ever as we continue to move forward. And, and, and the, 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 let me cut you off right there because you said two out of the three things that you wanted me to say. But I think the real cherry on top of those on these new chapters is uh, the chapter you led about um, mental health and how we all, as parents, as educators need to pay special attention to the mental health of our teenagers, teenagers, 17, 16 year old kids who we educators, school counselors, admissions officers, we parents, we all play a role in it. So the, our chapter about mental health and the college admissions process and how we can, you know, we don't know it all, but we have some uh, ideas on how to uh, address this. We hope that everyone reads it, understands it, and we can all lessen the pressure and help our students to be themselves and recognize that there's so many different schools out there that we don't have to put um, the emphasis on, you know, the black Ivies or the regular Ivies, whether it's three or eight, whatever it may be. There's amazing institutions out there. Um, and Angel, Angel Perez, the CEO of NACAC, oversees all of them. Oh my! Oh. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that their boards of trustees would agree with you. So. <laughs> <laughs> ah, bah humbug! Who needs those people? Angel, you're awesome. Tim, I appreciate you for executing all this stuff. Um, if you don't have the book, please get it. The Black Family's Guide to College Admission, uh, Missions, uh, Conversation by Education, Parenting, and Race is available on our website. Uh, Understanding the Choices is on, it's available on Amazon. Please follow us on all the socials, understandingthechoices.com, Instagram, LinkedIn, blah, 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 and subscribe and share and make sure that someone you know in your life gets a hold of the book and understands that we're on a mission to help anybody who'll listen, all right? Tim, you're a good man. If nobody tells you, um, if no one else tells you, you're a good man and don't let anybody tell you different, okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
All right, we out. All right, thank you, Angel. Thanks, guys.